Welcome to The Doctor is in Quarantine. In this podcast series, I'm talking to friends and colleagues in the cannabis and horticulture industries to see how they're doing during the COVID-19 crisis. You'll hear conversations about the impacts we've seen so far on the supply and demand of agricultural products and resources, how travel schedules for work and conferences have been upended, and how we're all coping with toilet paper shortages, or not. My guests also give their predictions for the medium and long-term impacts this pandemic may have on our industries and society at large. The general consensus is that it depends a lot on how long the quarantine will last. With that, I invite you to sit back and join the conversation. If you want to share any of your experiences or observations through this crisis, you can find us on Instagram or LinkedIn. Enjoy. In this episode, I'm talking to Tom Bouja, an outdoor and greenhouse cannabis cultivator in central Washington state. He owns several hundred acres and manages over 16 cultivation licenses. In a typical season, he cultivates up to 30,000 pounds of cannabis, serving both the flower and oil markets, as well as both the medicinal and recreational markets. In this conversation, we talk about what life has been like in Washington state, how he's been affected with a very minimal crew on the farm, and what it's been like to be in Washington state as the epicenter of the beginning of this COVID crisis. Join me now for a conversation with Tom Bouja. Hello. How are you today? Oh my gosh, How I'm are you so today? good. How are you? Wonderful. Got a little, a little breather from the day-to-day, uh, you know, hustle and bustle. I know, right? Are you enjoying yeah. it? Uh, you know, there's some high points and some low points, but um, I would say, yeah, I've never been much of a crowd person. So, um, you know, and I'm in the smallest county or the the uh, lowest populated county in the state. So we don't have crowds here anyway. So um, uh, this, uh, you know, it's not that much different where I'm at. Now, Seattle, we do have a condo in Seattle that we rented in February just in time for this whole thing. Oh my gosh. Is that a good thing or a bad yeah. thing? Uh, well, we thought it was a good thing till this happened, but now, you know, I'm not going anywhere. Sheila and I, we're not going anywhere near Seattle for, uh, yeah, till sure. this thing's so cleared up. But, you know, I, I did hear something yesterday on the news that Seattle's cases uh, have, uh, started the downhill you know, there's less being reported than, than were. So it might be that we're over the hump in Seattle. Wow. Well, I mean, what was that like to be in Washington, have a place that you rented in Seattle that you expected to probably spend time at, and it was sort of the epicenter of where this all began, or at least where we first started recognizing that COVID was coming into the country. I, I mean, was it was it crazy in Washington, all the news and everything, all the conversation? I think, you know, in the beginning when we were there, because we were in Seattle, I don't think many people were thinking too much, you know, about it. We were, you know, our condo was right there by Pike Place Market, and and uh, there were still crowds and all that. And then, you know, it finally kind of clicked after enough news reports that, you know, shit, we might as well go over the other side of the state where there's nobody and just let this thing blow over, you know, or at least see what happens. And, 
And that was, I don't know, God, it's been a month probably since I've been in Seattle. So crazy. Yeah. Wow. You're, you're the third person I've talked to, uh, that lives rurally, that lives in a rural area through all this. Yep. And so it's, it's just sort of interesting, the, um, differences in the conversations and how this is affecting people's day-to-day lives based, you know, relative to whether they live in a city like Dallas or live in rural Washington or Pennsylvania or South Carolina. So, um, yeah, it's, I'm, I guess I'm not surprised that it's not necessarily affecting you in terms of like quarantine, I guess. Yeah, no, I'm, you know, I wear gloves into the grocery store when I even go to the grocery store. We make one trip and get as much stuff as we can and then, uh, you know, hole up for a while. But I, you know, I, I laid my crew off for two weeks and, you know, said, told everybody to go home and, and, um, take a break, stay home, be safe. And, and so for me, like the last couple of weeks has been, uh, I'm in the greenhouse doing what I like to do, which I haven't been really able to do that in the last four, you know, four or five years, just because there was more important stuff for me to be doing. But right now there's really nothing else for me to do, but keep the plants alive. And that part of it, I'm enjoying, you know, I'm in the greenhouse and, Doing what I like to do, so, you know, so from that cool. standpoint, it's been it's, it's been you know fun for me, therapeutic. Let's say. Nice. I feel like we're kind of lucky in in agriculture in general that we're kind of lucky with the timing because it's spring, and so a lot of people have already planted, and so now it's just kind of watching the plants grow. There's not a lot of activity in terms of seeding or in terms of harvesting that it's kind of in that in between. I mean, there's obviously always activity with, with agriculture and farming, but if there could have been a good time for agriculture, this seems to be it. I agree. You know, and for whatever reason, you know, um, February was just a beautiful month weather-wise, you know, over on the east side of the state. And um, I you know, I, I was so far ahead of the game as far as having pots out in the field, you know, the irrigation and everything ready to go to plant. And I'm pretty much there. So um, I was lucky enough to have all that behind me. So I'm not sitting here stressing about, God, am I going to be able to get all this stuff done? And when does it stop? And right now, the way it stands, I, you know, I could probably, I've got four, at least four licenses that I'm going to grow this year. And um, I could probably do it all of it by myself not the harvest obviously but right. certainly getting the plants in, yeah getting the plants in the ground and just making sure everything's watered and all that you know that, that you know which i don't think is going to come to that but you know I, my mind always goes to the worst place first right and um first harvest be is it it's in the summer right early summer uh well no you know i'm in well i will have a small white depth crop that i'm going to do some uh uh so it'll be a seed crop or making some, you know, doing some different genetic stuff, but, um, that's, you know, minor thing. My, what I've learned at this point for me and, and what I'm doing here is I do one big crop through the summer, you know, grow it as cheap as I can harvest it as cheap as I can. Uh, and I've gotten fairly good at, you know, packaging it and uh, preserving it. And, uh, you know, that's the key for the, you know, for the market, you know, take, uh, COVID-19 out of the equation. It was, it was a tough, <clears throat> a tough fight, you know, at least in the marijuana world, 
up to this point, but but uh, that's kind of the model I have now is just grow as much as I can in the normal cycle when it's as cheap as can be done. You know, Mother Nature's on my side generally, unless there's a windstorm or something. But um, uh, you know, grow as much as I can, and then you know, don't spend any more money other than just uh, packaging it up and and preserving it, and then you know, s- sell it throughout the season, which is exactly what I did last year and. I still have probably uh, five thousand pounds, four to five thousand pounds of product left. That uh, thankfully we are an essential service, as opposed to six, seven years ago we were we were illegal. Right. But, uh, that is amazing! Uh, what an interesting progression of the industry. <laughs> yeah, really. As, as fast as it's moved, you know, like I said, <clears throat> six years ago or, or pre uh, whatever that was, the 13, 2013, you know, it was illegal as hell. And now all of a sudden, seven years later, we're essential to the, the market. But if you wanted to try to keep all the people at home and not have any riots, I think you got to make sure that the alcohol and the marijuana are free flowing. Yeah, right. Just to keep uh, Otherwise, there's going to be more murders, more, you know, more. Wives killing husbands and, you know, whatnot, <laughs> you know, just being cooped up all the time that, you know, I, <laughs> without an outlet. I know. Yeah. It's so funny. Right. Well, and I, I did this. I heard, I was talking to but, someone who lives in Pennsylvania and she said that they have shut down liquor stores under this, huh. which is causing people to do what? To drive to New York and to other nearby states to buy alcohol, right. which is exactly what we don't want to happen. It's right. Crazy. It's crazy. Well, and, and I think uh, it's just common sense that, you know, if everybody's sitting at home, you know, give them something to do or, you know, uh, right. uh, uh, you don't want a mutiny. That's for sure. Do you think there's going to be that's... more new users of cannabis during this crisis? Like people are just going to be so bored. They're going to be like, hey, well, it's an essential service. I can get my hands on it. I'm done drinking. I'm so tired of like building my beer gut. Maybe I'll try cannabis instead. <laughs> 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 well, I'm excelled. On, uh, I've got a black belt in beer guts right now myself, but um, um, I, I think, yeah, the answer would be yes, because, you know, even when I, I'll, tell you, I'll end this with a, uh, you know, what I did the other day, but I mean, when you're not worried about going to work, you're not worried about drug testing, you're not doing anything oh, and your true. husband or girlfriend is, is doing, you know, getting high and having fun. I think absolutely yes, and it was just a couple of days ago. It was, it was Sunday, you know. It's like, do I even have a reason to get up? I, you know, the plants are watered. I really don't have to do anything out at the farm. And uh, about one in the afternoon, I ate an edible, and God, what a great day I had! Nice, you know, it was. I really did have a fun day. I, I truly believe that uh, yes was the answer to that. Hmm. Just because, just because you don't have the responsibility. Well, why can't I get high today? You know, I don't have to be to work for a month. That's true. So why wouldn't you? But, yeah. you know, unless you've got some real moral, you know, feelings against it. But, um, no, I think it'll uh, probably be beneficial for the pot world. Yeah. So <sighs> I, I imagine then, I mean, if that is the, the scenario, then uh, you're going to probably have no problem even selling the extra 5,000 pounds that you have in storage. Oh, no, we're we're moving it. You know, I mean, it's going quick. Um, uh no, I don't think I'll have any problem selling. I'm confident I won't have any problem selling. I'm hoping I have enough to supply through, you know, September to the next crop. But um, 
you know, uh, if, if, in a perfect world, that's the way it works out is, you know, I sell the last, you know, last ounce and I'm, you know, harvesting the next few tons. So, but, you know, does it work out that way? <laughs> you know, who knows? But, is um, it really that tight? Like you're, you're, you're selling like that small quantity at the end and you just have a time. Well, when I say an ounce, I'm just talking about the last, you know, yeah. but we do sell ounces. I do sell bulk. You know, um, what I'm trying to do is, is, um, you know, build my retail market. And I've been doing that. I was doing that for the first couple of years. And the, the guy that I hired to, um, and then paid for two and a half years. And I sent him to all the, you know, the industry, uh, get togethers and all that. And, um, uh, he was my retail sales guy. Well, you know, uh, two years ago, he said, well, Hey, I'm going to start my own business. And, you know, so what he did is he went out and took my Rolodex and started slinging pot for other farms. And so I kind of had to start from scratch myself. So I won't ever put anybody in that position again without some kind of non-compete or something like that. But, um, it actually, it actually worked out really well because see, I guess it was, uh, 2018, you know, I really didn't have the, uh, contacts for the retail market. And so what I did is I just gripped and stripped everything, which we had about, uh, 7,000 pounds of gripped and stripped that, I had uh, a 10-man crew, or actually a 10-gal crew, uh, Hispanic laborers are the hardest working people that I know, um, but in, in uh, 14 days, they gripped and stripped 14,000 pounds, and I sold it for 100 bucks a pound cheap for oil. And um, normally, if you try to uh, trim 7,000 pounds, I don't know what that would cost, but it's a hell of a lot more than 14 days with 10 people. Hmm. But it worked out really well. And then, so now um, in, in uh, 19, I started to, you know, get back into the market. And uh, at this point with the market in Washington, you know, the bulk of the dreamers are gone. You know, the guys that, uh, you know, I grow good pot and that's why I'm going to be successful. So there's so many people that have left. And I actually, you know, I'm, I'm acquiring more licenses. I just bought more land. You know, I'm, really? I'm just absolutely yeah i mean i'm doubling down for sure i just bought 110 acres of light industrial and i got equipment out there today and you know the funny thing is is um all these these contractors that are busier in hell now all of a sudden i'm the only guy they can work for and so all of a sudden i got wow. lots of equipment out there and shit going so you know that's been a benefit for me for sure yeah but as far as the uh the market like i said there's the uh the industry is consolidating i guess is the easiest way to put it right. in my opinion but but the people that didn't have the financial horsepower to stick it out because it got ugly there you know where pot was you know uh ounces of trimmed marijuana were 15 dollars going to the store and the store was oh selling God. them for 45 yeah and it's like this is ridiculous and that's where you know it, it uh when my sales guy left i thought you know i it can't be that much worse just grind it up and make it, you know, turn it all into oil and get what we get, which turned out to be about 700,000 bucks. Mm. So for a season, you know, a 90 day or 120 day cycle for uh, one farm to generate 700,000 bucks. I mean, I, I'll bet the 160 acres next to me doesn't do that. Anyway, things are getting actually better in my opinion. Like I said, there's, there's uh, fewer flakes, you know, just the, the people that are reputable, honorable people, 
um, have their reputation. And, you know, most of the uh, scammers are less than honest. Most of those guys are gone. There's still some out there, but, you know, at this point, after five years, you know, everybody knows who you are and, and, you know, how you operate. Right. You know, it's a small, it really is a small community. You know, if you're out there screwing people, guess what? Everybody's going to know about it. Or on the other side, if you're out there helping and working and that's, that's the model I, you know, look at is, you know, I want to be shoulder to shoulder and I'll help you, you help me. And it's, you know, and we're all on the same page, but not everybody looks at stuff that way. So. so have you, with, without the gluttony of all the, the flakes and the dreamers, I guess, uh, and with more mm-hmm. consolidation, are, are prices, have prices for you improved in terms of sales? Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, prices are going up. You know, well, uh, now ounces are 30 bucks, double. Wow. And that's why, yeah, and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Okay. Now, I, you know, I've got my... My crew's been packaging pot, you know, ounces and whatnot. I'm still selling, you know, 100, 200, 300 pounds here, you know, in bulk to other guys that um, don't grow, but they uh, they've developed a little processing, you know, niche where they buy, you know, two, three hundred pounds bulk for you know 90 cents a gram and and uh, package it up into ounces or half ounces and they've got their stores they work with they make something on that so i'm trying to just make sure i've got my finger in every potential market that i could monetize the stuff because you know this year i should have seven licenses that i operate or you know oversee and um in order to move all that product I, i i believe i need every you know, the option I can have to uh, monetize it. Hmm. Did you see any change in the market after the vape crisis that we had last year? Oh yeah, I did. There was, um, there were some people that got hit pretty hard by it. Hmm. Uh, certainly the guys that had the flavored, uh, the flavored, Uh, you know, uh, whatever they are, the, uh, Cartridges, cartridges, yeah. <clears throat> but um, <clears throat> the oil thing's just still hot as a firecracker right now, in my opinion. From what I know, I don't look at a lot of data, but um, what I'm going by is, you know, I've sold all my trim. I actually in November pretty much sold the bulk of all my trim, and it was, you know, that was all going to oil. And I still have oil people now calling me for trim, and I don't have any trim. All I really have is flower and uh some of it's pretty rough trimmed and i'm trying to work out you know we're trying to figure out a number where they can take the rough trimmed pot and um you know blast that and make oil but we got to find a number because i put extra energy into trim it and the flower markets come up and so um, hmm. um you know they need to find something to uh to make that oil and the oil one thing I did see is the oil market from five years ago has been in an upward trajectory for the whole time where flour is pretty much stayed constant, you know, hasn't okay, really, really you know, flat. yeah, it's a flat, it's a flat line. Certainly for Washington state, those, I have seen, you know, some graphs of that, but the oil market, and that's what really convinced me, you know, a year and a half ago was like, shit, the oil was the one that's on the, uh, on fire. And, um, with the harvest cost of you know being able to go out there, cut them down, hang them up, dry them, grip them, strip them, you know, and uh, the the labor cost was next to nothing compared to trying to trim everything. I might as well just sell everything for oil and and uh, you know 
I know of at least five processors that I deal with, and that's just a fraction of what's in the state. <clears throat> but these five, you know, out of those five, each one of them does, you know, eight to 10,000 pounds of biomass a month. So, uh, you know, these guys are doing 40, 50. And that's just the guys that I deal with. You know, and there's some other big ones out there that, you know, I have no idea what they do. But when I think about that, it's like, shit, I can't grow enough. And they're all, so, I mean, and they're all within the state. I mean, you are just serving the yes. state. Which yep, I, just Washington. Yeah, which yep. I just think is so fascinating under this current crisis and some of the debates and sort of conversations or threats. I'm not sure what they are about quarantining states and uh, limiting interstate commerce. And, and to me, that just like rings a bell in my head that the cannabis industry has been set up like that from the beginning to be self-sustaining within a state, within its borders. And it just makes me curious if that, you know, for one, makes the cannabis industry more resilient than some other industries, if they are restricted by interstate commerce and you know what what lessons can the cannabis industry relay to others who might be struggling under a threatened quarantine like that i mean that's it's fascinating to me All right well you know I, one thing that i see is the um if people want pot they're going to get it just like the alcohol if, if i got to drive to new york from you know whatever state that was where they they yep. shut From the alcohol <clears throat> if i want my alcohol i'm going to go get my alcohol and right. and you know you think about you think about the prohibition if people want it they want it and and we're probably not the smartest bunch out there but you know we'll go uh, risk uh covid-19 for you know a, a case of wine or what you know whatever your choice of drink is That's but yeah uh, and i see and i see pot the same way i mean pot's been dealing with that you're, you know, pre um, uh, uh, legalization, legalization, yeah, pre legalization. <clears throat> you know, that's what it was. Just, you know, I mean, and I'm sure that uh, the the you know black market is thriving. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Even with curbside yeah. pickup at dispensaries that are considered essential services, um, yeah, even even that people would probably rather go to someone they know or to someone local who's doing it in their garden rather than, um, you know, risking even that curbside pickup and all the hands that have touched it, or even just, you know, it's another excuse to, to, I don't know, bypass the legal system. Right. Well, and you got your taxes and you got all that. And, you know, from everything, I get all these emails, I'm constantly, you know, reading stuff that, comes in and I know there's a bottleneck in California with the testing but everything I read is the black market is alive and well in California you know which um you know people would rather go get the pot they got from the guy you know 3 years ago 4 years ago and it's probably better and and um you know less shit to deal with right exactly and and in some ways but, it also goes back to this whole idea of knowing your farmer Right. Is knowing the person sure. that yeah. actually grew it. And, and we're, we're having almost this opposite conversation in food production where people want to know their farmer. They want to know where their kale comes from or their carrots come from or their eggs come from. Right. right? They want to know a local farmer. They want to know where it came from. And with cannabis, we've we've dis- made a disconnection between knowing where your 
your marijuana is coming from. Right. Well, I think, you know, five years ago, the farmer did not want to meet his clientele just because it was illegal. But, uh, um, but you know, yeah, today that's a different thing for sure. And, and, uh, and then, you know, if you're in the city, like in New York city or something like that, you know, the chances of knowing a farmer are pretty freaking slim. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So because of where you live, I mean, you mentioned even earlier that, um, you know, the potato farmers nearby are probably not faring as well as you. I, I mean, do you, do you talk to any of the farmers nearby? I know, I remember oh, yeah, when we visited you, that there's all sorts of farms out there. How are they doing? Are they doing okay through this right now? I think they're doing fine. I think everybody's doing just fine. You know, I mean, we really had a, uh, <clears throat> the egg industry has not been hit. You know, they're the one outfit that can keep moving. Now, I'm probably next week driving to Corning, California, uh, right in your neck of the woods, almost in your neck of the woods. Yeah to get a water truck and, you know, and I don't know, uh, and I was just, I just was down there a week ago to get this truck that I'm sitting in, but uh, I'm going to get a water truck and nobody, um, nobody got the memo that I could tell, you know, a week ago driving down to um, uh, Corning got the memo that, Hey, you're supposed to stay home. Traffic was as heavy as it's ever been. And I didn't know if I was going to get down there. There's no hotel rooms. There's no food. There, you know, the gas stations are closed. I'm stuck here. You know, it wasn't like that at all. I, you couldn't even tell the difference. And so, um, you know, once again, I'm going to run down. Wow. Yeah, that it was. Not be your yeah. experience next week. I'm, I'm. I'll be curious to know how it goes next week. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think I don't see a problem really. And in, in the um, now, if I was to say. I'm just on a pleasure trip. Uh, you know, if should I even be asked by anybody uh, that you know, maybe maybe I got a problem there. But because I am a an essential business, you know, that marijuana needs this water truck. You know, and that's why I'm here. I'm here to buy this egg egg water truck to get up there to grow more pot to keep people pacified during this whole COVID thing. Would be my. <laughs> my yeah, uh, <laughs> like to whoever was you know who, yeah who, whoever was interrogating me for why I'm out of state right now. I hope but, whoever um, that is responds with "Thank you for your service." <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, if it's if it's California Highway Patrol, I don't think it's going to be that pleasant. But well, uh, I don't know that they're pulling over anyone yet. I haven't heard of any stories. My sister lives near San Jose. And she drove into San Francisco this weekend because she she's been shelter in place for over two weeks now, and uh, her high school is closed till May first and probably till next year, uh, to be perfectly honest. And so she's going a little sure. crazy. Uh, and so she's like, I just, I got to see the ocean. I just am so curious about San Francisco. So she drove in and she sent us a video. And it's a ghost town. And it's so so weird, you know, and she's like that. It's so cool on one hand, like how empty it is. And I can just drive around without like any traffic or pedestrians or whatever. She's like, but there's also nowhere to go. And she's like, I want to see the ocean and like see the beach, but they won't allow you to stop. So she literally is just doing a drive by of the ocean. Yeah. And, and, you know, and uh, I don't know what it's going to look like in, you know, 90 days from now, a lot of those restaurants are going to be gone. I know. You know, I mean, it's uh, And I've been trying to figure out what, you know, what it's going to look like here in 90 days or, you know, uh, six months from now. And, 
And, uh, geez, you know, I do know the, uh, the restaurants who have a pretty small margin to live and work by, you know, if they miss one month, maybe they can survive, but if they miss three or four months, you know, they're probably toast. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this definitely helps, but it's just for a month basically to help pay their bills, um, and pay their employees. Uh, but what happens May 1st? I, yeah. Yeah. No, people are just, people are really in trouble. I was lucky enough. My people I laid off or sent home, I'm paying them. They're paid. They're, they're home for the next two weeks. Now, how long can I do that? You know, I can do it for a while, but God, I sure don't want to do it all summer. You know, (laughs) but you know, I I mean, I, what I'm kind of hoping is I did see that headline yesterday that uh, Seattle now is on the downturn of cases, you know, new cases coming in. And I'm hoping, you know, because we were the epicenter in the beginning, you know, I'm hoping that everybody's behind us in another two weeks, New York will start be doing that. And and then uh, you guys in LA or, you know, California will start. Hopefully that's the, what happens. And maybe the seasonality of, you know, warmer weather, if that, you know, which nobody really knows what's going to, Right. close this thing down but uh hopefully uh some heat and which frankly i'm looking forward to but um <laughs> um you know to get things back on track because i know if we keep things shut down for 90 days it, it will be a whole different world out there when we come back um you know except for oh yeah go ahead except for well except for the people that are in places like i you know where i'm at where you know the so I'm in really, I believe the poorest county in the state. And, um, you know, I don't think it's going to really affect a lot of people here. Like it will people in New York city and all of that. I mean, the, you know, people here are living no different than they did, you know, two months ago, they may not go see a concert now because they can't, but, but, um, or, you know, go to some event, some trade show or something like that. But, um, yeah, the people that are, you know, kind of on the lower end, um, I don't think much changes for them other than if they get sick. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm, uh, well, definitely worried about that and the whole healthcare system and people losing right. their health care, uh, their insurance benefits if they can't be employed by their employers. Um, but I, I, it is interesting what you the comment you just made that it might not affect people sort of on the lower end um because maybe they didn't have a lot of disposable income in the first place and weren't maybe as wasteful as some of uh the rest of us and i was talking to yep. a friend of mine yesterday who was saying that that's one of her hopes and predictions is that people will learn to waste less and we were saying how both of us we have these leftovers in the fridge and now rather than just letting them rot because we yeah. something else that we are eating every bite of our leftovers and nothing is getting away. I'm following that same model and you know the one thing I can tell you about the farm um you know I had a pump go out and, and normally okay throw it in the waste basket and go buy another one and well I can't really go buy one hmm. you know like ace true value all those guys are closed and so um wow. not only is it a, a trip to the you know for me it's 30 minutes to a you know home depot or something like that but um uh I've been doing a lot more MacGyvering and thankfully you know in the past when something broke I tossed the broken one off to the side go get a new one 
well, now I got all these parts and pieces and I've actually been making a lot of that stuff work and going through my old shit and saying, well, this is good. This is good. This is good. This is trash. That's get, you know, going to the dump. So I've been doing a lot of that, just kind of thinning out all the, you know, I don't want to say debris, but the stuff that, uh, usable and not usable. Let's put it that way. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's actually one of my favorite attributes of farmers in general is their MacGyver skills and ability to make things work that nobody else can. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, that's what you, you pretty much have to be. I mean, that's what the Crescent Ranch, you know, is universal on everything. Or, you know, <laughs> I thought um, it was the hammer. Uh, I guess the Crescent Ranch. Uh, well, that that too, you know, ranch. hammer, <laughs> hammer, Crescent Ranch, duct tape. Uh, <laughs> you know, those are the you know main tools Sweat of my toolbox. And you're so. good to go, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, but that's one thing that I, you know, that I kind of recognize for myself. And, you know, I'm even now thinking, you know, when I, uh, you know, I am going to have more of an inventory and, and, um, cause I don't know what's going to happen in the future. And frankly, I want to be able to have, you know, a supply of stuff rather than running to the store to get this, that, or the other, you know, I just buy three or four of them now and put them in, uh, uh, the warehouse there. And it's, you know, my own warehouse. And then I've got my stuff you know, for the farm. But this, uh, one thing I, I have learned is the true value of toilet paper in the face of a crisis. You know, that's one thing I'm going to stock up on and, uh, always be stocked up on. And I still, to this day, you know, when you walk into Safeway or Walmart, there is no toilet paper. No, we can't find any either. Luckily, we were pretty stocked up before the crisis hit as sort of the rumblings started. We uh-huh. bought a, you know, a new bit like roll of like the jumbo size rolls or whatever. And, uh-huh. and then my mom started getting nervous and she's like, you should, you should start stocking up on all this stuff, you know? And I was like, whatever, like this is going to blow over. And, you know, I'm like walking through the paper aisle or whatever. And I was like, eh, I'm just going to grab one, you know, another one. Cause yep. you never know. Like, it's not like we're not right. going to lose it. You know, I mean, right. even if we don't need it right now, we'll still use it, it you know, later. And I'm so glad I sure. did because we're, we have enough for a little while because yeah, we don't see it on the shelves either. It's, right. I can't believe it. I, I mean, yeah, that's it's, it. it's like, it's so weird because people are so obsessed about toilet paper, but then they're going to be eating less maybe if they're not going to the grocery store and eating out. So it's like, okay, so you have less going in tech. Theoretically, you should have less going out and you should need less toilet paper, but I don't know. <laughs> right. Well, it would be a different story also if, you know, COVID-19, all oh, the first sign is if you've got diarrhea, you know, that's a good sign that you've got it and that everybody that gets, it's going to have to, okay, well, let's go, you know, back the truck up. Let's go get some toilet paper. But, um, <laughs> uh, but that's not the case. And so I guess everybody, that's maybe one of those luxuries that uh, people think about that they don't want to be without, you know, so. <laughs> what an interesting luxury to have, you know, luckily though, it is spring. So there are some new leaves on the trees. So, if we, you know, there you go. <laughs> There you go. Hey, you know, when when you're out camping, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. That's exactly right. (laughs) You said something that that kind of, that brought up a question I haven't even thought of, which is, uh, you know, with the stimulus package and the available funding for like small business loans and everything, how does, I mean, is the cannabis industry 
eligible for the stimulus package? You know, I have no idea. You know, you would think so because we've been um, designated essential, but but I don't know, and I'm not even going to ask. I'm not even looking at it. I it was hmm. lucky yeah, enough to have. You, but I'm going to have. I'm, I feel like I'm going to need to remember that question for somebody else because I'm sure curious. Huh. And and maybe, right. well, it, it maybe if you don't need it because we are an essential service and the demand is there and we can continue supplying it, then everything is okay. But I'm just thinking since it's coming from the federal government, we might not be eligible or certain businesses might not be. Right. Well, I would think that they are, but um, yeah, I mean, we have employees that have the same needs as uh, any other, you know, business, but um for me personally, uh, you know, I don't need it, um, you know, and I'll take care of my employees as long as I can. I don't think it's going to go that far, but um, but I would rather leave that money for the people that really need it. Because I'm, I'm confident there's going to be a lot of people that need it. My niece, who's 30 years old, uh, is a waitress or was a waitress in Seattle. And probably three weeks ago or a month ago, or, you know, when the whole thing really hit and all the restaurants closed down that, you know, like on one day there was um, a, a shutdown of all the restaurants other than takeout. And, um, and she's a waitress, so that, you know, doesn't help her any. And that night she went to apply online for um, unemployment. Well, you know, the state's unemployment website was down because it got so many people oh, hitting gosh. it. Yeah. Yeah, and so there's a lot of people in the cities that are going to need some kind of help. And uh, my niece is, um, and she's a smoker and stuff, and her and her husband are. And, and uh, but they're they're dead set, and they were just about before all the stuff came happened, they were just about to come over, move over here, and start working at the farm. Hmm. And they still are, but you know, not for a little bit here, not until this COVID thing's over. I kind of feel the same way as you, Tom, is that our business is doing well, uh, both in cannabis and in food. You know, people who, mm -hmm. I mean, it's so interesting. We have a client in Delaware uh, who was who just built a sort of a pilot farm, a vertical farm to, to learn how to grow the leafy greens that they want to grow at their very massive scale. And uh, they have four weeks of orders from their local grocery store because they're the only ones who can supply the lettuce uh, that the grocery store needs because they can't get it from some other places. Uh, so it's, it's just it's so interesting that both cannabis and food obviously is is essential. Food is essential, but that our clients at least are a little bit sheltered from this or maybe we'll do better because of this uh, unexpectedly i think it's better truly you know certainly for the pot i think it's going to be better just because nobody's working i mean you know once again i mean i would never take an edible at one in the afternoon i just don't have time to do that exactly. and all of a sudden it's like i'm, I'm getting up and it's like you know i even slept into one day last week till 10 after nine which i haven't done that since high school i'm 62 <laughs> years old you know so this has been kind of a uh you know a break vacation and and to some degree which obviously there's some dire consequences for a lot of people a lot of deaths and whatnot but um um, but for the pot, you know, I, I think anybody that's sitting around without the virus and, um, you know, twiddling their thumbs, wondering what to do, you know, let's smoke some pot, right. at least keep our minds active here, you know, 
coming up with harebrained ideas, but exactly. um, yeah, stretch that creative brain. That's <clears throat> what we keep hearing. Like this is a great time to be creative. Well, smoke a little pot, and that you know will get the wheels turning. There you go. That's right. Yeah, you know, nine out of ten of these harebrained ideas don't work, but you know that tenth one sometimes you get you know a winner out of there, and that for me it yeah. truly it truly does help me think outside of the box. Yeah. Now whether that's um, uh, really, um, you know, I, I, I believe it does, but, uh, you know, I come up with ideas that a lot of other people don't or have had or, or, uh, and I'd like to hang that on the uh, marijuana, well, I think you know, it that I do less, not, not even necessarily less inhibited, but less judgmental of ourselves and our thoughts. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, I mean, I, yeah. I feel like we are our own worst critics and that smoking a little bit of pot, uh, kind of lowers that criticism of our self thoughts and allows yeah. to it, come out that we it, normally it's allow. easy. It, yeah. It's easy to say, Oh, well, I was stoned. That's why it sounds so stupid. <laughs> you know, just, uh, <laughs> that's, yeah, that was a dumb idea. I mean, I come up with dumb ideas when I'm not stoned too, but, uh, at least when I'm stoned, I can blame it on the pot. There you go. <laughs> so, well, it sounds like things are going pretty good for you. I'm, I'm glad to catch up. I, I love the, this, the excuse that this has sort of given me to, to talk to some friends that I haven't talked to for a while. So, um, yeah, thank you for having this conversation with me. Oh, absolutely. Happy to do it. And uh, hope hopefully uh, you and Marcy, everything's well with you guys. And uh, we get through this stuff and, you know, we get back on track. Who knows what it's going to look like, you know, six months from now. But I know it will be fu- we'll be fine. Well, tell Sheila that um, if she needs somewhere to send her cookies, that we are always willing to help out. I will make sure there's a batch heading your way because, you know, the one thing (laughs) she's been doing, I mean, she's cooped up and she's a baker, so she's been baking and I got to make sure that um, they're not there for me to eat because I will, especially when I go ahead and eat edibles, I can... I turn into a machine. I can just make food disappear. No problem. The thing I got to be careful is we're low on toilet paper. So, that, you know, that's it. Uh, <laughs> I shouldn't even went there, but, but uh, I'll make sure. I'll, I'll make, I mean, you had to. <laughs> I'll make sure you guys get some cookies and, um, you know, hey, it was a, uh, I appreciate you even thinking of me for your, your thing here. So absolutely. Absolutely. Well, take care of yourself. Say hi to Sheila for us. And, um, yeah, stay in touch. Will do. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Tom. All right. Bye-bye. You bet. Bye. That was my conversation with Tom Bouja, who operates and oversees multiple cannabis licenses in Washington State and who was in Seattle when the COVID crisis hit. I was happy to learn that he and his crew were able to start a new crop before the quarantine started. Now my fingers are crossed that the crisis will pass in time for him to employ a full crew for harvest. One of my favorite takeaways from this conversation was the speculation on demands for cannabis, both during and after this crisis. I never thought about it before, but maybe he's right. Maybe more people will try cannabis for the first time because A, they're bored, B, they aren't scared of drug testing, and C, they can get more creative without judgment from themselves or others. Thank you, Tom, for the fun and insightful conversation.